sounding good, sounding good today. Let's get that applause going. Thank you, thank you, studio audience that does not exist. We are Wake Up To The Word coming to you from the bowels of the Barksdale Communication Complex. We're so glad you are joining us. There we go. We're happy you're here. We are getting to the end of our journey for this quarter as June wanes away. Wookie sounds. We, uh, that's loud. That was loud. Few things going on. Sorry for that heavy pause. I might actually edit that out. You may not ever see it. <clears throat> but a few things going on. We had a question from last week from Judy right here in Palm Coast. Great question. What is an Avenger of Blood? That was from one of our readings from the previous week, our Old Testament reading from, from last week. Great question. My favorite Avenger is Iron Man. So uh, if that's the one you want to pick... But that's not really the answer to the question. Great question, but I have put up an article in Jeff's stack of stuff, which you can find at wakeuptotheword.org. So go there, scroll down, look for the bald guy behind the paper. That's Jeff's stack of stuff. And I got a link there for you. Look for the Avengers, and you'll see the answer to that question. But... I want to give it to you right here. So, uh, <clears throat> the Avenger of Blood in the Old Testament is generally... This is the shortest answer I can give you, but you can read the whole article. The Avenger of Blood is generally the person who's legally responsible for carrying out vengeance for the family and is normally uh, the nearest male relative of the person who was murdered. Murder is the key phrase there. When someone gets murdered, there is an avenger of blood who has legal permission to avenge the death. So it's not Iron Man, uh, but uh, uh, sure could be, I guess. Our coffee, our coffee for the week is Newman's own Smooth blend? Original blend. This is original blend. Sorry. It's very good. It really is. It's a darker roast, but it doesn't taste bitter or strong or harsh. It's smooth. It's very smooth. And as a chaser, we have Twizzlers, which were given to me by my daughter on Father's Day. So I'm milking those for all they're worth. Our reading for this week, we have finished numbers. We're going into the book of Deuteronomy. But first, we go to Psalm 90, which is written by Moses, from everlasting to everlasting. This is a really good psalm, as Moses writes it uh, right in this era of the time in the wilderness. 
Prayer of Moses, man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth <clears throat> or ever or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And that everlasting to everlasting is the Hebrew way of saying eternity past to eternity future. You are outside of time. You are timeless, everlasting to everlasting. So then there's something that uh, lends itself to a similar quote in the New Testament. Uh, verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are but, a, but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. So we have a very similar uh, statement in, uh, in uh, Peter um, that says, you know, a day, uh, a thousand years is as a day, days as a thousand years. So uh, this is kind of in, in line with that. It gives the same understanding that God's timeless. It doesn't, time doesn't really apply to him. And then the end of that, um, just talking about your days are numbered, our days are numbered, and we should understand um, that, that God has numbered our days and we should recognize him in those days we have. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. This is last verse 17. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's, he establishes the work of our hands. All right, I didn't get us really into the word yet, but let's... Let's get ready to rumble! And there we go, uh, starting with Deuteronomy. And uh, many of you may be thinking to yourself, Deuteronomy? What does that mean? It's not easy to say, Deuteronomy. Some people mess it up. Deuteronomy. But it's Deuteronomy, and it is the English version of a Hebrew word that means these are the words. These are the words. And oddly enough, the first three words, four words, excuse me, four, four, <laughs> the first four words translated <clears throat> into English in the beginning of Deuteronomy are these are the words. That Moses spoke to the Israelites beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. So this is kind of a little bit of a recap, but also they've wandered in the desert for a long time. And uh, they talk about some of the groups of people they came up against. And uh, <clears throat> we talk, talks about... Um, uh, it just says, after he had defeated... This is verse 4. After he had defeated... In chapter 1, after he had defeated, I've said after I've defeated quite a few times, after he had defeated Sihon, the king of Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, Og and Bashan are very important, who lived in Ashtaroth, another another key word, in the Edri, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, the Lord our God said to us in Horab, so he's going over all of this again, and the reason he's going over it <clears throat> is because 
This is a new generation of people. This is a new generation that's come up. They've been wandering in the desert for somewhere between 38 and 40 years. They're just getting ready to go into the promised land. And uh, he's explaining to them what happened. As he comes down to the end of chapter 1 here, I mean the middle of chapter 1, Israel refused to go into the land. And the rebellion caused anger in the Lord and even anger with, <clears throat> with God and Moses. So verse 26 of chapter 1, Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So it's like, wah, wah, wah. Poor me, God hates us. And and how many times has that happened? When we find ourselves in a tough situation, it's poor me, poor me, God hates me, God hates me. But that's not the case at all. Uh, when he brings you into a difficult situation, there's, there's, there's all the possibilities of something else is going on. He's either testing you or he's going to show off his glory and his power. And so we sit back and say, poor me, this is hard, God hates me, why am I always in the circumstance? And sometimes the circumstances we're in are because of our own actions, and God wants us to learn a lesson and test our faith in trusting him through it. <clears throat> and it says, and later it says, and besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim, and that is uh, a key word that we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, so the penalty for Israel's rebellion, uh, it says, uh, even with me, the Lord was angry. This is verse 37 of chapter one. And your account, he said, you also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So we've talked about that before. <clears throat> Uh, we're going to get to the end of Deuteronomy, and Moses is not going to be able to go in. And we're going to we're going to see that he's going to get shown the land. He's going to be brought to a place and shown the land, but he's not going to be allowed to enter in. And we've talked about the symbolism of this before, but I'm just going to repeat it: is that Moses represented the law, and you cannot get to the promised land. You cannot get to the kingdom of God. You cannot get to the Father through the law. The only way to get to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And that's why Joshua, Yeshua in the Hebrew, represents the one to lead them into the promised land. God's people cannot get into the promised land unless they are led by Yeshua, which is the Hebrew word for Jesus. So uh, that's the symbolism there. And uh, the, the typology is incredible that it's... it's um, the gospel of Jesus is right here in the Torah, right here in the first five books of the Bible. It's threaded throughout. And now we just got to kind of go through all of this and it'll show us what's happening. We get to chapter two and he talks about the wilderness years and the people that they had to defeat. Why would he go through all of this? Because this is important because this is a connection, connectivity, or a response to one of the rebellions from Genesis, okay? So we understand as, as they come to these places, <clears throat> we come down to uh, 
verse, uh, middle of verse eight. And we turned and went into the direction of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession because I have given our to the people of Lot for the for for a possession. So Lot had favor. <clears throat> then verse 10, very important. The Amim formerly lived there, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. And like the Anakim, they are also counted as Rephaim. And the Moabites call them Emim. The Horites also lived in Seir, but the people of Esau disposed of them and destroyed them from before from before them and settled in their place. So these, all these groups, these different names, and there's another one down here at verse 20, the Zamzamim, the Zamzamim are also connected to the Raphaim and the Anakim. And what, what does that mean? These are all names from the different regions, from the different areas, from the different people, the different cultures, they are noting that these are giants, these are big people, these are connected to the Nephilim, the Nephilim, from Genesis, from the rebellion when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and took them as their wives. This is a rebellion of the some of the divine beings, the Elohim, rebelling Elohim, the rebelling sons of God that came to the daughters of men in order to rebel genetically, pollute the genetic creation of mankind that God had made. And they, they, they were there before the flood, and it says, and also after the flood. So they came back and did that again, and we see that God takes care of that in Jude and in Second uh, Peter and uh, <clears throat> a few other places. Um, but God finally took care of those rebelling uh, spirits, those rebelling uh, part of his uh, divine counsel, and uh, he, he finally locked them up. But the residual is continuing. So they're going through the land, and we find this word, and this is an important, not word, this important phrase, and we captured, and this is, uh, we're in uh, still in chapter 2, and we come all the way down, defeated the king of Sihon, uh, or Sihon, in uh, verse 34 of chapter 2. And we captured all his cities at that time, and devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children, we left no survivors. And the key phrase that you're going to see throughout the battles of the Old Testament, when they come across <clears throat> people who were who were uh, polluted by the genetic rebellion, they were devoted to destruction. Look for that phrase. It's going to appear again and again and again. And when you come to that phrase and you see that they killed all the women and all the children and all the men, that's why. Because the genetic creation of God had been rebelled against, had been polluted. Um, and, and so we want, God is taking care of that. He's, he's taking care of that rebellion. This is not easy to understand. It's not easy to grasp. 
<clears throat> but when the, you come up against God and you come up against his creation, he is a just and God who will judge. And, and you know, we, 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 we see this God, my God wouldn't do that. Well, then you're not worshiping the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible does that, okay? And it's, it's just. Without perfect justice, there is no perfect love. And, and this is what needs to be understood by people because we tend to just lean on what we like and try to cast aside what we either don't understand or we don't care for or it's hard to swallow or it's hard to connect the dots. This is why we need to connect the dots. This is why we go through the word and we, we parse it and we, we read it with ancient Hebrew eyes. Oy vey. So, <clears throat> not funny. Oh, wrong button. That was not it either. So close. Should have put my glasses on before I hit the buttons. We get to chapter three and he defeats the king, uh, King Og. O.G. Og. I guess when everyone looked at him, they just went, Og. Because uh, he is the king of Bashan. And this land of Bashan is, is a place that is, really denotes evil and spiritual presence. And, and this is the land that, that uh, they, they go into and they defeat him. And we've referenced this before <clears throat> and here in, here in verse 6 of chapter 3. And we devoted them to destruction. I told you, you're going to see it again. And they devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children. Uh, but they took all the livestock. And then it goes down to verse 11, and it says, For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron, and it's not, is not in Rabbah Ammonites. Nine cubits was its length, and four cubits was its breadth, according to the common cubit. Common cubit makes that bed <clears throat> 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. So this is a big bed. And so you, you got to figure this guy is, uh, you know, he's probably 12 feet tall. Uh, if that's the size of his bed, give him a little extra room on either side. <clears throat> so um, all the portions of his hand is called the land is all the portion. This is uh, verse 13, end of verse 13. All the portion of Bashan is called the land of Raphaim. And the Rephaim are the giants. And so we know that as, as we read through this. So when you see those words, all of those words that you might see again in Scripture, here they all are. Uh, remember Nephilim, and you're gonna that, that repeats again in different places. Anakim, Rephaim, Emim, and then uh, Zamzumim. Zamzumim. <clears throat> all of those are cultural names and uh different language names for the, the the giants the big the big people um and uh and so these are all the ones that are occupying this space and they come through and they take care of them <clears throat> now as we come down to the end of chapter three we see that moses is again forbidden from going into the promised land for what god uh um it, he says, uh, God tell, leads him, he says, go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this 
Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of the people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. <clears throat> so we remained in the valley opposite Beth Pier. So Moses goes up. The law can only bring you to the place where you see the promised land. It can never bring you across the Jordan into the promised land. It cannot do it. It can only bring you to the place where you know it's there. You know you can see it because the law shows you you can you are a lawbreaker and 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 when you when you recognize that you're a lawbreaker you know that there's a better way there's a more righteous way to live but the only way now that you're a lawbreaker is that you have to pay the penalty for breaking the law which is death which is separation from god so the only way is if yeshua leads you yeshua leads you into the promised land. So that's the only way. Jesus has to lead you into the promised land. Jesus himself said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way to get there, and the Old Testament and the New Testament bears that out, both symbolically, in typology, and in actuality. So... <clears throat> Now we come down to the, the bottom of chapter 4, and this is a rerun, a repeat, or a relearning of the lesson of the day, uh, the day of the Passover, the celebration of the 50th day uh, from Passover, where they got the Ten Commandments, where they got the law, and uh, we know we celebrate the Passover, the Pentecost day, when we got the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, they got Torah, which means teachings. We got the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher. And so um, that was symbolic of what was to come. But he's revisiting the lesson here. This is a 40 years later, a 40-year celebration of this event. And Moses goes through that again in chapter 4. <clears throat> um, and then at, in chapter 5, he... he uh, uh, excuse me, the end of chapter four, uh, the Lord alone is God. He tells him about city of refuge and then an introduction to the law. And then we come into chapter five and he's going to go through the 10 commandments. Why is he going through all this again? Because this is a completely new generation of people. All the, uh, the relatives, all the adults, all the parents of these people who have come and they've multiplied greatly. There's actually more people now than they had when they left <clears throat> Egypt. They've multiplied. Those parents have had many, many children in the wilderness, but the parents have all died off. All the ones who refused, who rejected God's promise and did not want to go into the promised land, they're gone. They're all gone. This is the next generation of men and women that are coming and going to go into the promised land. And so God, um, Moses, under the instruction of God, is rereading the law, and there's a reiteration of the Ten Commandments. In verse 7 of chapter 5, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 8, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Verse 11, 
you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, verse 16, all the way down. Uh, honor your father and your mother. Uh, verse 17, you shall not murder. 18, you shall not commit adultery. 19, you shall not steal. 9, uh, excuse me, uh, Twenty, verse 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And finally, verse 21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or all the other things, animals, possessions, any of the other stuff. But that's 1 through 10, a reiteration of 1 through 10. And now when you understand the rebellions, you should understand the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Why is that number one? Because these rebelling Elohim are drawing people to worship them, to worship other gods, other Elohim. So you shall have no other gods before me. Yahweh is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the Almighty, the Almighty One. <clears throat> Don't make for yourself carved images because these rebelling Elohims, they, they, they have these people make up images and they sometimes animate those and make it seem real. Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The name of the Lord is one of those uses of terms that is a reference to the 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 name is a, a reference to the to the God that would appear to them like the word and it's called the name of the Lord is another reference don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain don't take the name of Jesus in vain don't take the name of the Son of God in vain don't take the name of the word in vain don't say you belong to God if you don't. And it says, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Take a day of rest. Give it to God all the time. Sunday is not the Sabbath day. Sunday is the first day of the week. It starts on Saturday night. It was evening and there was morning the first day. I'm not saying be Jewish. I'm not saying be Seventh-day Adventist. What I'm saying is, take a day of rest. That's God created the Sabbath day for man. Not man for the Sabbath. We're not chasing after it. He's created it for us. Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He showed that in his life, and he told us that he didn't create it so we could chase it around. <clears throat> he created it for us to get rest, to understand that principle. And then the first day of the week is, we call it the Lord's Day, the day of the resurrection, the day of the ascension. The first day of the week when we gather is that we're giving our first day to God. And so we gather and we worship God. We sing praises. It's for Him. It's not for us. We too many times come together and think Sunday church is for us. It's not for us. It's for God. It's for His people to gather and unite in worship and worship the Lord and, 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 and speak of His holy word and take that on so we can know Him better. It's all about him. It's not about us. And then the rest of these, the five through 10, are all about our relationship with each other. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Uh, <clears throat> um, don't murder. I did those in the wrong order. Murder, adultery, steal. Don't false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie about people. 
And uh, don't covet. Don't if they have something, don't wish that you had it. Be uh, content, as it says. Chapter six. Um, the Lord our God, He is one. You shall love the Lord your God. This is that the greatest commandment that Jesus repeated. It's right here in Deuteronomy. It was nothing new when Jesus said it. It is just G- Jesus is putting His stamp of approval on it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I have commanded you, you shall shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. So is he saying to do that literally? Hey, you could do it literally if you want. But what he's saying is, this should be who you are. It should be what you do. It should be your dwelling place. Should ooze that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, all your might. So that's what we got for today. I'm glad you're with us. Get your coffee. Newman's own, eat your Twizzlers. It's very good. Judy, thank you for the question. We're so glad that you came and joined us for Wake Up to the Word. We have 1,200 people listening. We are being heard in six nations. Thank you for sharing. Keep sharing. We love you guys. Go check out the website if you haven't. WakeUpToTheWord.org. Sign up for the Bible reading plan because a new one is coming out this week. I'd love to send it to you. I'm going to send it to you. You should be getting it this week. If you're already signed up, you'll get it this week. But sign up so you can get it too. Third quarter, chronological Bible reading plan from Wake Up to the Word. It can be yours.